Hello, Psychoclass friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 263 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we're talking to Jessica Alexander. On air, personality at Flow Bikes. You've seen her weekly Flow Bikes cycling show on the broadcast for the World Cups in the U.S. for Cyclocross. Also, a lot of coverage from nationals, professional photographer, journalist, drummer. She does it all. And, and cyclist, too. Races bikes. I mean, what more could you ask for? It was great to chat with Jessica and we're going to get into that conversation after I tell you a little bit more about our sponsor Endura. Did you know that Endura has shoes? And not only do they have shoes, they just came out with these MT500 burner shoes and not only do they come with your normal clippity clips into your pedals, but they also have flats flats and from my understanding not only do they have flats but they have soles that are just going to stick right to those pedals they're going to give you all of the grip they look cool check out the pebble colorway it's awesome shoes mountain biking shoes walking around and riding your bike shoes it's good stuff for all of my enduro and downhill friends go pick up some uh some mt 500 burners you can get those at endurasport.com Here's a little secret for you. If you use the code WIDEANGLE20, you get 20% off your order. So do that, WIDEANGLE20. By the way, while you're clicking on over to Endurasport, did you know that our friends at Endura are taking steps to reduce their footprint and have planted more than 2 million trees at their home in Scotland and abroad in the last two years? Then head to Endurasport.com to find out more about Endura's sustainability efforts. And again, while you're there, use the code WIDEANGLE20 for 20% off your next order. Okay, while, while I've got your attention, one more thing that I need you to do. Very important here. My co-host of the Media Pit, along with Zach, is Michael Bodie Bodigheimer. Bodie spent all last year following around the automatic team on the crit scene went to all of the big races he was embedded with automatic and he has put together this documentary series covering that team and Tom Gibbons its leader that is amazing and I, I want you all to go to the wide angle podium YouTube channel it's wideanglepodium.com slash YouTube or if you're feeling crazy youtube.com slash wide angle podium it's going to be the first video on there it's called Hot Lap Summer. This is episode one. And it is so good. And you get it for free. And and all I ask is that A, you watch it. B, uh, to hit that thumbs up. Leave a comment. And then share. If you're on a listserv, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Reddit, wherever, just share this video around. I want to see this thing just bust out. You know, we're all talking about Ride to Survive or Drive to Survive on Netflix. This is it right here in the U.S. crit scene. This is the kind of stuff that we want. And 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 Bodie, given some momentum, can make this thing even bigger and better. So let's help him do that. And it's worth your while. It's, it's, it's entertaining. It's it's a it's just a, a great piece of documentary work. Check it out. Hot Lap Summer on the Wide Angle Podium YouTube channel. Okay, last thing before we get to my conversation with Jess. During this conversation, do you know do you know those times when you are listening to a podcast and you start yelling at the podcast as if they can hear you because they're just getting something completely wrong or just completely left out the most obvious thing. When I was editing this, I was yelling at myself because we start talking, I, I you know, start talking about how I don't really know that much about Texas cyclocross. You know, I've gone to Pan Ams, but I, I just wanted to learn more about it from Jess. So I was giving her that opening and then she's talking about racing there and I'm talking about how well it's not really muddy and she's like yeah it's not really muddy and it's raining or if it rains she cancels it she's from Austin we're talking about canceling races in the rain and I don't once talk about nationals in Austin not once doesn't even cross my mind so I was editing this and yelling at myself I'm sure you'll do the same 
I hope I didn't ruin it for you. That's a little spoiler. But feel free to yell at me anyway. You can even comment and tell me about how how Austin got rained out in Heritage Streets. It's it's a good memory. We should keep bringing it up. All right, this this <laughs> intro has gone on way too long. Uh, let's get to it. This is episode 263 of Cyclocross Radio. We're talking to Jessica Alexander, and we're doing that right now. Jess, how's it going? Hi, I'm doing well, Bill. How are you today? I am doing fine. Uh, so thanks, thanks for taking the time to chat. So where, where, where are you right now? What, where? I am in my house in Austin, Texas. Uh, we are not quite enjoying the last few days of what we call winter here. It is approximately 45 degrees Fahrenheit, which is a little cold for me as a Texan, but um, I'm trying to get over that and uh, realize that spring is just right around the corner and, you know, there are races to be had this spring that are not going to be in the 40s, so. Uh, As a Texan, so are you from Austin? I grew up uh, just north of Austin, so about an hour north of Austin. Uh, My family was military and we really liked Texas and, you know, my parents are into warm weather as well as myself. And so we've been in Texas pretty much, um, you know, most of my life. I've really enjoyed being uh, in a climate that generally has two seasons, which are hot and not quite as hot. Uh, but yeah, been in Texas for a good 30 plus years. So you didn't have to move around as a kid, like as as a a child of military folks because I know I know I did yeah I got really lucky my parents kind of had a plan where they waited until my dad's retirement um, was getting close to have children and opted to only uh, move us one time and so we ended up uh, relocating to Texas as part of uh, my dad's last military employment and he really knew that that was where he wanted to stay and the whole family liked it. And of course, you know, still here. Nice. We, I think the first time we really met each other was in Waterloo and you work for flow bikes and we're in the, we're all in the, the media room. And I, I think that was, may have been the first time that you were at least in that media room that the the normal kind of bottom feeders of the photo media world um had <laughs> had had flow bikes in there so we we were giving you a little light hazing uh, on that on that that first time in and and uh you were a true champ and took it and gave it right back and and I was like hey I I like this person. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then basically saw you for the rest, rest of the season. So, um, it just, you know, how, how did that come about that you, you got this, uh, gig covering bike racing? Well, it's a really fun story because I wasn't necessarily looking for a job. And I guess it kind of, if you backtrack and unroll it a little further, I think it's how I actually first found out about you um, a few years ago through your photography and through the podcast and just through your work with CX Hairs. I, I, I did not know the name to the face. So there was always like this mask of like, someone's behind it. That's doing incredible work. I don't know who this Phil person is. And, um, I basically have always enjoyed following bike racing. Uh, I had a few people that knew that I was really into bike racing in Austin and that they heard that uh, Flow Bikes had an opening for a freelance content creator. And I've been a freelance photographer and writer for almost my entire adult professional life, um, doing it full time for the last 10 years. And so I wasn't necessarily looking for a job, but I thought, hey, this is a really great opportunity to basically get paid to go to races as well as in the particular case of the first event I worked for flow, which was unbound gravel, I was already going to race. So essentially I was getting paid to race and I, you know, I took it, I went there for the weekend, had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but I, you know, I got to put down my camera and not be worried about taking photos or 
you know, writing pieces about interviewing athletes and actually got to get in front of the camera and talk about racers and then talk to racers. And then, you know, of course, I still did go out and race. But then after the fact, just getting to kind of recap the experience from the perspective of being an athlete, as well as being a journalist, I think really played a really good role into them eventually hiring me full time. Um, so it was, it was kind of a nice experience to, to not really be looking for a job and then get a job offer. And so it's, it's been almost a year now and, uh, I really enjoy it, but I kind of think that's basically how it all started in terms of getting to spend some time with you. And, uh, I, I think when I took the job with flow, they didn't necessarily know what my particular cycling background was in. Um, I've been racing bikes for most of my life, uh, most of my adult life anyways. And, um, you know, in particular, mostly in cyclocross. Um, and so I think they kind of found out about that and they were like, great, you're working the entire cyclocross season. And, uh, you know, I guess there are worse things, um, you know, for people that have seen you and I on the air together on flow bikes, it is pretty charmed life to get paid to talk about bikes. So I can't say that I'm upset about these decisions and the fact that you and I have been finally able to be in the same room and share the mic and get on camera together. It's been a great time thus far. Yeah, I know that was, that was a lot of fun and it made it, it was a nice new element to have, have there, uh, for this season and i want to i want to actually you touched on a couple of things that i want to come back to especially your previous or maybe dual uh life as as a photographer and just the the level of photographer that that you are i mean everything from weddings to shooting for getty to freelance stuff and then being a journalist which was such an easy transition then to being in front of the camera but let's start let's just start with the bike racing i mean how 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 did that come about? I mean, I know there's a huge, you know, racing scene in Texas. What was your, what was your introduction to that? Yeah. Racing has always been a big thing in Texas. And my parents luckily kind of found out about that when I was about eight years old, they, they knew that I had a lot of energy and they just wanted me to get on bikes more, um, and just generally outside more. And they signed me up for my first crit race and, um, I was dead last, uh, my pedal fell off, my seat fell down. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, but, I'll never forget it. And my dad was just so proud of me and kind of unleashed something in me that I didn't necessarily think that I had. I was already into um, running races at the time, like little kids K's. Um, but I knew I had like a competitive edge to me even then, but I didn't necessarily know where my athletic talents lied. I just liked getting out there and meeting other kids, being social. And, um, you know, I didn't really get a lot of opportunities as a youth to race more. I mean, even back then, but bikes for kids were really expensive and heavy and, you know, there were three kids. And so I kind of let bikes become more of a pastime versus a active part of my youth. And so I kind of unfortunately did not stay with bike racing as a child. Um, however, I got to college and, you know, I realized that I was in charge of my bank account and, um, you know, I just started saving up and looked at getting a bike again and, you know, started getting back to the gym, started getting back into running, which is something that I really enjoyed. And I, and I, and I was really good at at the time. And, um, you know, found myself on the bike, uh, doing some sprint triathlons and then kind of really finding where my strengths were, which were in running. Um, but I also really enjoyed cycling. And so it was almost a natural transaction, uh, transition, I think into cyclocross and in that, you know, I did all these, um, on road types of racing. So road racing, criterium racing, um, I've even done some track racing, uh, but I think when I found cyclocross, it really changed my life because I hadn't really done a lot of off-road racing and off-road racing was something that has, was always really interesting to me. I was always kind of obsessed with BMX as a kid. And, uh, you know, my parents never really encouraged me in that because they thought it was too dangerous. And I found that, uh, cyclocross kind of, um, satisfied that as well as like the, the, the running aspects, like the, the actual getting off your bike, I thought was kind of a cool part of it. And, and, um, you know, actually my first few seasons of racing cyclocross, having a really strong running background had ended up being super advantageous and, um, really 
kept me interested in motivating and furthering my cross skills um, as I continued racing. Did you ever ever get to really take advantage of it? Did you have some good mutters anywhere down there? My 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 whole ignorance of the of the Texas scene is like you're not getting mud. Um, you are a hundred percent correct about no mud in Texas. Uh, living in Central Texas, it's pretty dry here. Uh, we do get some rain in the fall, in the spring, but the way promoters generally run races here, um, and for for some good reasons, but essentially if it rains, the race is canceled, (laughs) Um, which is absolutely everything against what we know as cyclocross now. Um, I ended up going to, um, I had a really unique opportunity in 2019 to go race cyclocross in Europe and do some amateur racing there. And, um, you know, I got my UCI international license and um, got there and I went really early season. I went in, um, really literally the first couple weeks of opening season, August, um, beginning of September. And I just remember showing up and everybody was just so good. <laughs> I, I even remember when you interviewed Scott Punston about his experiences in Europe um, being very similar. Everybody's just so dialed in already. And I think there was a combination of being over intimidated as well as just realizing that I didn't have that kind of experience. You know, I never raced in mud before. I I didn't even own mud tires. And so I, I opted to just take in the experience more for training. And so like I, I got to train on, on courses like Bolsalar and I stayed in the Herentals area and got to ride all over um, most of the Flanders region and got to go to the Spinney Center and train there. Um, so it, it ended up being a really great experience. But, you know, I kind of got back realizing that I didn't want to really take my racing to an elite level. I think that I wanted to kind of keep it, um, you know, fun. And and also I, I didn't want to feel burned out on the sport. I felt like kind of going to Europe and and not going all in on it made me realize that, you know, I was taking it a little too far. And I think, you know, coming back and, you know, even taking a step back from cross racing since 2019, especially with the pandemic period to have like some reflection, I've realized that I think cross is way more fun when I take it more fun. And so I've been racing single speed more so the last couple of years. I even raced single speed at um, cross nationals this year. And um, of course you were there. That was quite the experience. Um, I I flatted in the first lap, one of two laps and uh, ran with my bike for laps. So I guess that proves to you that I uh, (laughs) enjoy, enjoy running. Um, I mean, who runs a mile in their cross shoes with their butt, their bike covered in mud because they've flatted out on the course and missed the pit. (laughs) yeah but but that that european experience that you got put you in a great position for what you're doing now in that when you're talking to all of these elite racers when you're talking to all the europeans you at least have that touchstone to know what they do and how such a different world it is and, and from from a lot of the racing that's here and just just to experience that is like is huge just to, you know, be, be able to not come in there not knowing, you know, what it's like. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I also, in addition to um, doing a couple of weeks of amateur uh, racing and training out there, I also went to uh, the uh, Vuelta de España was going on at the same time. And um, I actually did have my camera with me. And so I got to shoot a couple stages. And um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I really laid the groundworks for uh, where Flow Bikes has kind of taken me. And I, you know, definitely when I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I hesitate to say interviewing because I never really thought of it as an interview. It was just more practical work experience. You know, I had all these great uh, moments to kind of look back on with understanding how a professional race works from the inside, from being on the side of media and having to deal with like all the red tape of that. And uh, more importantly, just for kind of the hustle and grind of it, because as you know, um, everybody thinks it's super glamorous, but at the end of the day, you're usually standing in a puddle of water or, you know, under scorching skies. And, you know, you're happy if you bring home 150 bucks for the day and, uh, you know, you slept three hours and drove like 500 miles. So it's pretty uh, photography life and journalist life in general is definitely a grind. So uh, other than the, the, the cyclocross, it looks like also the adventure riding 
side of things is something that you not only cover. I mean, you're heading heading to heading to the first big gravel race of the year. Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble for saying that. Can we say that's the first big gravel race, the biggest? I mean, come on, it's one of the it's one um, of the monuments. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm actually, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you because this will probably come out after the show that I'm doing tomorrow. I'm, fl- I'm filming a Full Bikes Weekly show with a special guest who is Bobby Wintle, uh, the director of Stoke for the Mid-South Gravel. And absolutely, 100%, I'm going to open the show with gravel season is officially kicking off this, this upcoming weekend. And, you know, I get to be there and be once again part of it. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, I'm involved with bikes in many, many different ways now, um, adventure riding. Um, you know, if I can tie that back to that trip in 2019, I actually, um, shipped my bike to Europe with me and built it at the airport and rode all the way across Europe. So I guess I left that part out. I actually rode from race to race to race to training, training, to training, rode all the way across Belgium, all the way across Switzerland. Um, didn't get to ride to Spain, didn't have enough time, but I flew there. And uh, yeah, th- those kind of experiences um, really have helped me, um, you know, be able to work on what I want to further do with my journalistic skills, um, you know, both the flow and then outside of flow, um, which are storytelling and sharing um, in the adventures that I do. Uh, because yeah, bikepacking definitely is a really interesting way of seeing the world, especially when you can share that, um, you know, with others through a camera and through your written words, um, you know, and of course video as well, which is something that I'm working on more this year. Uh, and yeah, gravel racing, that's, that's the other big thing that I do outside of cyclocross and, um, I'll be racing in the 50 mile, uh, mid South race this weekend, um, been training up pretty, pretty hard. I think I'm going for a top 10, um, in the women's category, but I think outside of that, um, even though I'm putting it out there that I do have like a, a gold slash time, you know, in, in the back of my mind, uh, you know, t- looking at the big picture and where I've come over the last few years, I think I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just going to be glad to be there and be part of it. And, and, um, you know, just the community aspect of it, I think, is why it's so cool that to be there. And, and, and also the fact that, you know, Flow Bikes is going to be doing a lot more grab, gravel coverage and off-road coverage coming up. And it just really gets me stoked on going into work every day and, and coming up with cool content to share with everyone. So are you hoping that it's uh, more like 2020 muddy mess or do you, do you want it to be nice weather for this, you know, first since you have to cover it, too? Yeah, well, so, yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I learned a lot going in 2020. I covered it in 2020 as a photographer for Cycling News. Um, Really lucky to cover for them since, you know, the pandemic was about to hit and they couldn't send their correspondent from Europe. And so I got to jump in there. Uh, I learned that um, disc brakes and mud and grime don't work well. And... um, also, derailers don't tend to do well in that kind of grimy, peanut buttery mud. And so I actually, I'm bringing two bikes. Um, I am bringing a single speed um, Canty bike. Basically, it's my, my, my old cross bike. And uh, I've got it set up with uh, 38s. Um, tires that are going to do really well on mud and uh, i'm kind of stoked i mean i i will say that i'm um you know especially as i get older and i'm not spending as much of my time um focusing just on racing anymore just simply because i can't with work uh i i i do better in in um technical muddy and um challenging race situations you know if it's dry and dusty and quick i'm probably it's probably not gonna be my best race but when you throw in some some elements such as rain cold mud i i feel like cross nationals really gave me a good indicator as to what i have inside me and um you know of course like i'm still very inexperienced when it comes to riding in those types of conditions i mean they're saying that we might have snow um but I think, you know, it's going to be a one inch accumulation, but I believe that snow does turn into like slush and it still is mud oh, and yeah. everything. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm ready. I'm, you rode, ac- you rode across Belgium in sight. Cy- it's during cyclocross season. I think, I think you'll be, you'll be fine. 
Yeah, I've actually got um, a 38 millimeter essentially cross tire on my on my gravel bike on my single speed. So I, I feel like I'm definitely ready for it. Pretty stoked. All right. Well, we'll have to have you back on um, on Grodio at some point to, to <laughs> get your uh, get your gravel gravel thoughts. Um, you talked a little bit about just life as a photographer and how how did how did that come about and it really looks like you got a pretty um extensive portfolio from shooting weddings the I, I was looking at some of your event photography that looked super sweet you know concert stuff and everything so what was that former or maybe still life like and then what what precipitated this change just to something almost entirely new well i went to school i went to college for photography um and actually technically my degree is journalism public relations and we had to have a minor in the building of mass communications um which i opted for mine to be photography because i already had been doing photography growing up my dad also um was into photography he was kind of a not necessarily a war photographer, but he, he was, he was a, a budding photographer during times of war. And so there was a lot that I've, I learned from him as well as just my interest for, for cameras never really waned the older I got, it always got uh, stronger and stronger. And so I was really lucky that, um, out of college, I was looking for, um, for jobs in, um, marketing or jobs in, um, essentially industries that I was interested in working in. And I was, uh, I also minored in music in college and, uh, got a opportunity to work at a music company pretty much right after college. And so that was kind of the forte into music photography where they, they're like, here's a camera, you get free concert tickets, go take photos. And, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew how to take photos. And so it kind of gave me this, this really unique foot in the door that n not many people get. Um, and, you know, it, it definitely, it definitely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, you know, I, I really did freelance for many, many years while I balanced um, working full time in music. And then I got to a point around 2010 where, you know, music jobs in Texas, hard to come by. There's just not many full-time jobs. And I wasn't really interested in moving out to California at the time. And so I essentially just kind of had had a couple mentors that I trusted that I talked to and was like, you know, should I take a leap of faith? Should I go full-time into photography? And, you know, they said, you know, they're like, your work is good enough. You, you're, if you think you're making enough money, do it. And yeah, so I, I just dropped all my, my freelance contract jobs that I was taking at the time, which were mostly in writing and um, marketing, uh, social media, those types of things, and just started doing photography full time. And um, you're correct. I, I was primarily entertainment and music oriented when I first started. And uh, I always enjoyed doing event photography. And so I was able to kind of really focus on event photography as well as like entertainment photography as kind of the two things that helped build my career. Um, and I picked up two agents throughout the years, um, both of them in the, in the UK, which really helped get my work out there. And, uh, you know, did a lot of, did a lot of travel for a while going to music festivals, um, as well as shooting music, um, in Austin, we're really lucky that Austin has a pretty lively music scene. And so almost every major tour comes through Austin. And so I've been able to photograph many, 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 many large acts, pretty much everyone that you can think of. And, and all of those were like great portfolio builders and, you know, made me some good money. And then, uh, you know, as, as, as a lifelong learner, I've always wanted to do more than just one thing. And I've always enjoyed sports. And so I was like, well, I want to do I want to do more with sports. And so I started working with uh, sports photographers with connections. And, you know, I always kind of in the back of my head was like, I'm going to see myself working at the Tour de France. And, um, you know, I, I shot some Ironman races and just really looked for all kinds of avenues to travel and continue to do photography. And so, yeah, I, I really diversified my portfolio as much as I could. I, I have done some weddings and um, I've, I really just enjoy 
finding connections with people and, and taking a very uh, photojournalistic approach to the work that I do. And um, I, yeah, I, unfortunately now I don't have as much time to do photography. It's kind of definitely taking kind of more of a side gig with, you know, with me being at Flow Bikes full time now. But I like that in the sense that I can be a lot choosier about the types of jobs that I take and can really follow my passion um, to find jobs that I really want. Like, for example, perfect example, um, you know, being at Cyclocross Worlds, which, you know, luckily for us was in a fateful Arkansas. And, you know, it was it's it, we, I didn't go there to work for Flow, but I got to go there and, and do some freelance work and pick up my cameras and stand next to you and. Yeah, it was just it was just so fulfilling because it's that's that's what I want out of life or events like that where I can not only connect with my subject but connect with uh, you know the people that are there and 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 make me realize why I love doing the things that I do and participating in the events that I participate in. Not to not to age you or anything, but here's here's the question because it's such the uh, the. Um the, the the way of photography right now, everybody moving back to film. So did you start with film? I definitely started with film and um, I actually still shoot film. Uh, it's never really gone anywhere for me. Um, it's a huge part of the way I learned how to shoot and still very much a big preference to me um, with the exception of the cost prohibitiveness of it. I think we all realize that, you know, we don't Getting have one hour. <laughs> yeah, we don't have one hour photo booths anywhere anymore. And even sometimes getting stuff turned around in a week can be next to impossible. And so you have to work with those kinds of constraints. Um, so I, I like to think of film photography as kind of my photo hobby now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I actually uh, I just recently gave away my darkroom uh, setup. I had a darkroom setup for a while. Um, and I am looking to probably, uh, take a, um, freelance gig doing, um, teaching darkroom for the city of Austin, probably in the next year. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So I guess the, 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 the obvious follow-up question then, what are your, what are your cameras? What are you shooting? Any media <laughs> format? Um, gosh, all the tough questions. Uh, so yeah, I don't really have a bunch of fancy gear. I tend to go more utilitarian and I get this from my dad. Um, of course, a couple medium formats, but I really got obsessed with um, plastic and, and, and all the funky cameras from the 60s and 70s. So I have a Louboutin, one of those Russian uh, cameras. Mine's actually um, one of the metal ones. So it's kind of cool. It's not the plastic version. Um, I have like a couple of different Holgas, some of which I've modified myself. Uh, I have an infrared camera. Um, actually, I have two infrareds. I have a film as well as a digital infrared that I converted myself. Um, I have my dad's Canon QTFLs, which are essentially like th those. I mean, if I only had one camera in my arsenal, um, besides probably my Fuji right now, would be uh, those trusty Canons because I just I know them inside and out, the weight of them, the the sh the, the way the shutter feels, like it's there's just something about you know when you have that connection with the camera, and it's the camera I learned on, so um, it really means a lot to me. I, I it's it's you know it's from the '60s, and even though it's it's probably worth maybe a hundred dollars if you were to buy a used one that was in great shape, like I don't care. I own two of them, you know, so I can switch out bodies if I'm doing a, a you know a black and white in color shoot is that is that what you're shooting at worlds um you know i don't think i brought a film camera at worlds i think you're okay. thinking of my fuji i have a fuji um uh mirrorless camera that i i didn't break the screen on it but <laughs> the playback screen doesn't work and that's totally okay and it's great well no because everybody thinks it's a film camera and they're like well, can I see what you're working on? And I was like, no, I can't even see it. I, I lost one of my favorite photo mentors about 10 years ago, unfortunately. But, you know, that was the best advice he ever had for me was the best learning you can do is just turn the screen off and trust your instinct. And it, it really changed the way I shoot as well as the way I appreciate the work that I do. Um, and it also makes you trust yourself more. I think too many young photographers, especially those that only have experienced digital, 
are too reliant on on playback screens. Um, and I was taught literally to <laughs> understand basic camera functions, uh, different types of film, film speed. And then, of course, as digital became a thing, um, you know, how to read your histogram screen. And then outside of that, yeah, rarely, rarely ever use uh, playback screens. Oh yeah, I, I mean, and I know there are people who do great work doing it, but still, the 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 shooting, the sh- composing and shooting from the LCD, just like, still is just this. I, I just can't wrap my head around it. Like not not actually having the the camera up to your face, it's just yeah, a hundred percent. I agree. I I see people shooting video like that all the time, and and you know with flow, there's a couple times when I've you know been in kind of strange situations where I'm like it might be more advantageous to flip the screen out because of what I need to film. And yeah, now that's, that's a skill that I could definitely work on. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of why I took the job at flow as well. to better my video skills. You, you, you sort of skirted by your, your, <laughs> you're just very nonchalant about these like huge things that, that, that you do these sort of these, these secret talents back there. So you sort of talked about working in music, but then also on stage as well. The, the drumming, give me a little background on the drum, the drumming. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I, I've done a lot of things in my, in my life so far. Um, but yeah, I also grew up doing music and, um, music definitely is probably outside of cycling the most, um, you know, the most instrumental, <laughs> but also the most constant, uh, part of my life. And my parents are both musicians and they encouraged music playing in the home. And I got involved in music lessons really, really young, uh, taught myself guitar, taught myself piano, um, studied percussion and flute, took singing lessons. Uh, and so I, I just really enjoyed music. That was kind of my creative outlet growing up. And then, you know, it just kind of made sense to me in college to continue doing it. And then I, you know, after college, found myself working in a drum shop and teaching music lessons, um, working with drum lines and uh, yeah, playing as well. I started playing in bands pretty much uh, right after college and um, gone, have gone on, uh, haven't been in any too well-known projects. I did have a project that um, was in a band that we were almost signed to deal with, Third Man Records, uh, Jack White's label. Um, but I, yeah, but I've done, um, a couple of tours across the United States and some regional touring and, uh, my most current project, which might be of interest to your listeners. Um, I am in a, in a two piece band with, um, Colin Strickland here in Austin and, um, we are called dirt daddy. <laughs> uh, we do this really funky, like, uh, I don't even know. It's just like psychedelic uh rock bluesy stuff um we just is there, a, take... is there a band camp is there a band camp page no i don't have any plugs however um if you go look at his latest documentary uh, about him on the road to nowhere um we actually have some of our music involved in the soundtrack to that so uh you know which was an idea of mine when i heard that he was working on a documentary with red bull um as a red bull sponsored athlete i was like Colin, you do know that they they license music for those those, and he's like, yeah. And I was like, we should license ourselves to Red Bull. Um, so it was probably the Smart. coolest. Smart. There's there's that there's that independent contractor. Yeah, hustling. yeah. So yeah. It, was, it was probably the coolest thing I did in in 2020 um, was get paid by Red Bull to be a professional musician and and write some music with Colin. And um, hopefully we'll we'll be playing a show soon. We've got. Um, a, shameless plug uh here we uh, we have a gravel event coming up may 7th in marfa texas um a couple different event um lengths of races and uh hopefully us playing so come on out if you're interested some camping under the stars um but more importantly just playing playing music with friends you know uh colin and i are great old friends and you know we don't neither of us have a ton of time to play anymore so it's kind of nice to wear you know, if I'm not going to be touring with bands all over the U.S. or even Texas, like I can just kind of hang back home and we, you know, I've got a music room and we just get together and jam a couple of times a month and write some songs and, you know, hopefully get to once events start happening more frequently, get out to playing again. Amazing. I love it. Hope to see you all play sometime. Uh, all right. Let's get to 
this past cyclocross season since you got to see it close up and personal. First off, easy, easy, easy cop out journalistic question for you. Biggest, biggest, just memory stories thing that stands out for you from from covering the season. Ooh, so broad ended from the start at Waterloo all the way up to the end. And I think just, I, I mean, it can even be a couple, but just those memories. Not even doesn't even have to be like the big win or something, but just something that maybe even happened to you, or just something that st- that you go back and and maybe think about and and either puts a puts a smile on your face or maybe even like oh geez. Oh yeah, this one's an easy one, um, and th- and this is this is something that's truly special, and I and I really feel, um, I feel like this is why I took this position with Flow Bikes, and and this is why I was meant to be part of the cyclocross season for 21, 2021, 2022. Um, and that was uh, when I met Felipe Nystrom of Costa Rica. Uh, I actually, he was on my radar for a couple of years and, um, you know, I, you and I chatted briefly off air about how, um, you know, my passion for, for bike racing wasn't just the job. It's like something that I do as, as kind of, you know, more than a hobby. Like I, I follow up on people and I'm curious to know the names and players and Felipe has always been someone that, um, well, I should say over the past few years, like I, I identify as a Latina and, um, you know, I don't know a lot of um, Latin, any Latin identifying people really that are into cyclocross. And so when I, when I heard about Felipe, I was immediately drawn to that fact and um, wanted to learn more about his story. And um, unfortunately for me, but fortunate for me, another journalist beat me to this punch. Um, I was a little slow to get a, get a, a, a hold of him, but um, I tracked him down and um, I ended up seeing him at Waterloo and I was like, I know who you are. I have to talk to you. And, uh, you know, very shakily did my first uh, DGI uh, cam uh, interview that did end up making it on the Flow Bikes website. Uh, but I, it, 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 for, for him, it, what, it meant so much. He was able to share his life story. Um, and, and I'm sure most of your, your readers by now or listeners by now probably know who Felipe is, but, um, you know, for those people that don't, he's a, a wonderful human who is from the, the country of Costa Rica and has relocated to the United States after coming through many hardships, um, found cycling to kind of, to kind of change his life, clean it up and to provide a better life for his child. And, um, you know, he's the lone representative of Latin America, which is just an absolute insane story like the the panache of a man who petitioned to the uci um to be able to race uh cyclocross when you know they don't have cyclocross there and uh so i interviewed him and um we stayed in touch over the season and i kind of you know had a few follow-ups with him and i'll never forget when he came up to me at worlds um after he was done racing and, and he just gave me the biggest hug and he said if it wasn't for you people wouldn't know, have known my story. And it kind of caught me off guard because I didn't want to be that person, but I'm also like, I'm happy and honored to be that person because I knew that was kind of my journalistic, that was the expectation for me. Like, that's just what I do. I tell stories and I knew his story needed to be told. And so by it, yeah, but that, that, that one outshines everything else that happened. <laughs> yeah. And now, I mean, I guess announced, but not officially announced. I don't know what's going on with it, but Pan Am's in Costa Rica for cyclocross is just like mind boggling. Yeah, it's wild. Um, I'm I'm hoping that Flo will uh, send me down there. So Lucas, if you're listening, I need a ticket to Costa Rica in December. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's going to, I hope to make it down there as well. That's going to be, that's going to be wild. I, I'm Beautiful. Curious to see who actually shows up for that one. <laughs> It'll be interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what about like, uh, just the covering the world cups in general? I mean, it was such a, such, such a whirlwind going, going for that, that whole week, just logistically and, and everything else. I mean, what's, what's the, what's the experience like from the, from the broadcast version of it? I mean, I, I, I saw a little bit of it with your coverage from, from nationals, but it's just such a, and for all of us, it's a grind, but you guys are kind of like live and and, and with uh, probably the tightest deadlines of anything. 
Yeah, it was um, it was wild. I had um, two events in in five days, which a lot of you actually had three events in five days, or I guess seven days. Um, but we had to skip Iowa City due to some logistical. Um, you know, we, we needed to spend more time in Fayetteville to cover Fayette Cross. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely a grind. I don't want to, 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 kind of limit it to just that, but, um, I think the biggest things that I've learned are definitely being very organized and being able to be concise with the stories that you're telling and have an outline as to how you're going to achieve those stories. Um, which is easier said than done. Uh, so many things come up during the event that you can't forecast or that you can't plan for. And I think that's what makes being a journalist fun is being able to, to see the story as it's happening and, and, and be able to, to, to make a story out of a, a news tidbit or, or like a hunch or, you know, a rumor or some gossip or, you know, an accident or a crash or whatever it may be. Um, and, and yeah, those are definitely the, the most exciting parts of the job. Um, not to mention just getting to see kind of the same people over and over and over for a week. And, um, you know, it, it definitely gave me a good taste of what it would be like to be at a multi-day stage race reporting as well, which is something I'll probably be doing a lot of this summer. <laughs> so seeing, uh, the, the domestic cyclocross scene up up close and, and personal and you know, it, the, just w we, what we've been going through over the past, I mean, over a decade now is a, like this huge rise in cyclocross, even from the last time worlds was in the U S the popularity of cyclocross, just really skyrocketing to a bit of a plateau to, I think what everybody will, you know, reluctantly admit to a bit of a decline in the last couple seasons as much as we don't like to say see that but just putting your editorial hat on what do you what do you think what do you think that domestic cyclocross needs i mean i'm talking mainly at the elite level you know amateurs is another thing and the participation could be better there but that's a that's a whole different conversation but just just at the elite level just the competition just the races that are out there is there anything that struck you that you're like hey this is something that'd be really good if it, if it were to change. That's a hard question. I know. Well, I, I do think it's a hard question. However, I would like to kind of maybe have you take back what you said about how the amateur racing is a separate conversation. Um, Cause I have thought of this before and I, and I think that I think maybe the easiest way to approach it is is not make the amateur racing separate and actually have the amateur racing part of the elite racing much like we see at waterloo um i had never actually been to waterloo um cup before this is my first one i i very much feel like a cyclocross newbie in saying that um but uh what one thing that i found uh in that you have amateur racing um, you know, in the days leading up to the elite races, it's, is that you have that built-in audience, right? You have racers, uh, regardless of their skill level, that get to go ride the course, including myself. I got to go out there and do the, the what, what did they call it? The riding with the pros or the, the legends race. The, legends, the race. legends race, yeah. I raced the legends race. And, uh, you know, those are the things that I think cyclocross needs. People see the party, they vibe the party, they get to meet their idols. They get to ride bikes with them. If they want to go win that race, they can go win that race. There were kids out there that were trying to win that race. And it was so, it was so fun to see because there I am like trying not to spill my beer all over my bike. <laughs> um, at the same time, I'm getting filmed for, filmed for flow bikes and, uh, you know, saying hi to Spinice and Ellen Noble. And, um, I think those are the things that elite racing needs is, is that continued, um, approach easy uh, easier approach i guess by by fans and by the community like elite elite racers need to be to be humans they need to be you know like you should be able to talk to them i think it okay now 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 i get to defend um <laughs> cyclocross i would say that for every uci event in the u.s other than that fayetteville world cup there are amateur races throughout the weekend and then it caps off with that elite race and which I know, you know, but, but the other thing that I'll just add to that, just having gone to most of the UCI races in the country is that in most of those instances, the, 
organizers will have clinics of some sort or so with with elite racers, which is which you're absolutely right. It, it is huge, and maybe it has like not been as much in the in the past couple of seasons. But I I just I just know you know from uh, Powers when he was still riding to Becca to Kerry Werner, all all of these folks would have you know clinics during the race weekend and, and be willing to do that. And, and you're absolutely right. That is huge. Cause that's the, that's the thing that I think, I think that we forget about a little bit and get a little jaded on is that there are, there, there, there is that whole class of, of, of young people who are looking to the elites now. And those are the people that they, they are idolizing just like in the same way that the, the, the people who are at the top of the game in the U S now did the same for the generation or so ahead of them. So, yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. That's, that's huge. And I think that that's, that's why it's a little scary that we got to, you know, continue to have that participation just kind of across, across the board and not have people, I think people can write race everything. I think all the disciplines are great, but I just, I just hope that people stick with cyclocross because it's such a great, um, great building block for any other discipline that you want to do. And I'm now on my soapbox and this is supposed to be <laughs> you talking. No, no, I, I actually want to add to that. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're coming from the same place here and that, um, you know, I don't want to stray too far from the elite, um, answer or the, the angle with that, but growing cross in the United States in particular, in my experience over the last few years of observations, racing, uh, media, et cetera, uh, you know, and I, I kind of have to agree with um, USA Cycling's approach of developing the juniors program. Um, if we're not getting juniors to come into the sport at a young age and keep them in the sport, there's no way that we're going to develop racers that are going to be competitive at the elite level at these younger younger ages right i mean we're, we're we're trying to get people to buy into cyclocross in the olympics and you know we we are trying to to continue to build our olympic or i'm sorry not our olympic but our our, our youth um collegiate collegiate teams um you know and and we you know you don't get cross skills uh you know, no, no, very few people come out of the womb being able to do cross. And so it, it's one of those things that, you know, most kids bikes are cross friendly and you get them out on the course. And it, it's very much like the, the velodrome approach where mom and dad can take the kids to the velodrome. And if you still have a velodrome and, and they can sit there and the kids are safe, they're going around in circles. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing I see with cyclocross. And, and, and that's the one thing that I really have enjoyed with, uh, you know, getting to see, um, domestic cyclocross across the United States, this, uh, seat this past season were the kids races and the numbers of kids. And so we just need to be better about continuing to develop these young riders. And I know that you're involved with the development team. Um, I got to work with flow bikes, um, this past, uh, nationals with a developmental new, uh, new England rider. And, um, you know, I think it's so important to continue to encourage these kids, which is really why I wanted to do that feature on this young rider is because, you know, even if he doesn't decide to be an elite racer or even to race into college, you know, maybe he just keeps it as a hobby or he teaches his kids about cross when he has kids. Uh, that's how the sport's going to continue to grow. Like us just having races where, you know, we're, we're pushing the master's agenda and, you know, we're, we're passing out cups of beer. Yeah. That's not building the sport. That's just keeping the party going. And, and that's, it's such a small part of what cross is. Yeah. I, I think to go along with what you're saying, like BMX too, like the more I learn about BMX, especially in the U S is such a great, you know, I know you were listening to Funston's conversation. That's what he came up with. Is it's such a such a great way to start and just builds those those skills right right from go, which is just amazing. I I will say, I, and I think that junior development is huge. My <laughs> part part of why I got that reputation for not liking juniors, which is absolutely not true, is that um, I I have uh, always championed the rider who is no longer a junior and what happens to them. And, and I think you, sometimes you look at cyclocross in the U S and it's an inverted bell curve in that you have a lot of junior participation and you have a lot of 
master's participation and and I don't I don't want you to badmouth the masters they're paying the bills we need all those masters racers and but it's the it's the it's it's the people almost where you found yourself it's it's those people who are out of high school and maybe even out of college maybe even they can go they can do collegiate racing they can you know they still have some support from home if 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 they're lucky and in the, in that position i know a lot of people are not um but after that ends and then the real world really strikes and you're still in your early 20s that's where we lose a lot of people because then priorities shift and you're like well i i need to be able to pay rent and i need to be able to put gas into my car and 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 every everything else and that's where that's where that that that's what i i'm like how do we keep those people who have potential who are out of a junior program in the sport and possibly you know just need that extra year or two of support and then they're going to be at the top of of of, of the game and i think I think we lose a lot. I mean, I think we lost a lot of those riders during the pandemic. And, and that's just, I think that is, that's a, for what I see, that's kind of the hole that, that kind of gets overlooked in this and that masters can pay for everything. Juniors. It's why I'm always like, great, give juniors discounted, uh, you know, entry fees. But at the same time, if you give the U23s discounted entry fees, you're actually helping them more. A lot of times the junior parents were like, it's, you know, it's cheaper than soccer. So they'll go and, you know, pay that fee. It doesn't have to be the full one. They're not racing the same amount, but, but you get what I'm saying. I, and I think that's, that's sort of that lost generation we have in the, in the cyclocross cycle. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And this is a conversation that I have had even recently with my friends that are of college age still, um, you know, where they want to be involved in nationals at the collegiate level, because they know it's a really good opportunity to, to build, like they've already built a foundation. Now they get to chest themselves almost at the elite level without taking that, you know, having those points to compete at that UCI level. Uh, I, I don't want to make this a, should the kid go to college to go to, to go play cyclocross, but I kind of feel that what I observed at nationals were students, you know, youngsters, kids like Scott Funkston, I don't want to say kids, you know, uh, U23 racers that are, that are somewhat self, uh, they're self-funded a little bit, but they're also being partially funded through a school program. And, you know, a lot of them on team bikes or, you know, some kind of discount program, you know, their kid is provided for them or again, roped into their cost of, of their, their, their classes. Like I've, I talked to a couple different students just to kind of vibe to see how their programs work. And, um, you know, there's a lot of really good models out there. And I think if someone has the opportunity to go to college, a hundred percent, there should be an opportunity for them to do cyclocross and they should be able to do cyclocross through college. And so I, I definitely think that that's an area where the United States can do better. Um, you know, I know very much at the non NCAA type sport, which we don't, we're not even going to go into that conversation, but you know, we're, we're talking about, yes, you're pretty much self-funding yourself to nationals, but having the support of the college behind them, I think is huge. And, you know, you can't tell me that the colleges don't have pull, with Trek bikes, with specialized, with giant, you know, there, there's, there's, there's some power behind having Harvard or, you know, it doesn't even matter what the college is, but it, it, it matters that you're getting teams of kids to go to races and to further the, their development as an athlete, whether they go professional or they don't. All right. What are, what are your, uh, what are your last step uh, preparations here before Mid-South? Ooh, um, I'll do a little road shakeout tomorrow just to get some cold air on my legs. Um, got to tap sealant off, wash the bikes, uh, pack extra brake pads and, um, pro tip. This is one that I learned from Icelandic gravel racers is a metallic air conditioning tape. Uh, you could buy it probably at Home Depot. Um, I ordered mine off of eBay, but essentially it's, uh, what they tape around the edges of your air conditioning units. And, uh, you put this over your brake pads 
And what it'll do is when the weather is, is terrible and, and you're going to chew through those pads, it just chews through the tape instead. And then you peel the tape off and you still got your full brake pad. And, and I literally have taught this trick to so many mechanics and they're like, uh, this is a game changer. And so I'm actually, I've got a role literally right here um, that I'm going to cut up tonight into uh, small shareable strips and be passing it out to uh, friends in the know. So if you see me at Mid-South, find me. I'll get you some metallic tape to put in your uh, um, roll. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think I, I'm, I'm more so concerned about the weather swing because it's going to be a start of 15 degrees with an inch of snow in the morning on race day and the high of 52 so it presents some some challenges for dress, especially if it ends up being wet at all, which it sounds like it's going to be. So uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to think this one through a little bit. <laughs> all right. I'm just going to edit all of that out. And what we're going to do is we're going to package this. We're going to make our own little, like, cut them all down to size, individually package them, sell them for $20 uh, a set, and, and, and we could go buy yachts. There we go. This is it. <laughs> this is the retirement plan. <laughs> do you know about the metallic tape either <laughs> no but now i do and i'm already like i'm already setting up the everybody shop. everybody tell everybody yes Shh, we'll, no, we'll make the podcast famous <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right fair 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 anything else we need to talk about that was a that was great to catch up with you uh you know i think we'll we'll have like a little follow-up and i i have a question for you as a, as a journalist okay. if i can flip the script for a moment i knew you were going to do this eventually you you were so good and i was like i was going to tell you in the beginning i was like you're not allowed to interview me that's not how this works <laughs> well come on let me have just one but, okay um what are you most looking forward to this year? And then this doesn't have to be a cyclocross related response, but if it is a cyclocross related response, I want you to be pretty specific because it will be something that you and I can revisit when I have you as a guest on my flow bikes weekly show again. <laughs> I, I can tell you right now what I am most looking forward to is, and this is with, you know, the, the hope here of just everything opening up and even just the end of this week while you all are heading out for gravel, I'm heading out for mountain biking and just have a pretty full calendar of mountain bike and gravel events that I'll be heading to to shoot. And that is just like, I, I'm, I don't know. It was a couple, it was, a, you know, what, like a month at home and now I'm so just ready to go and reinvigorated. And it's, it's the same thing. I, I think with doing this and, and just having mountain biking as something completely different, even though it's bikes, different, different crowd, different vibe, different people for the most part, which I really enjoy. Uh, it, it gets, it, it gets me then excited again about, cyclocross and which is a good thing because it's uh you know it's like anything you do after so after a certain number of years you you start to lose that excitement and that's that's not a good thing as as you mentioned none of us are until we sell that brake pad protector none of us are getting rich enough to to, to not be excited about it so yeah just i mean just seeing the schedule coming out just that 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 mid-atlantic run that we always mid-atlantic <laughs> bias that east coast ish run from like roanoke to rochester to baltimore just to just to start the season is always is always like super exciting and just you know th just rushing that into the world cup so just just the whole the whole grind of it i think is what i always start to look forward to and it's always that point when that begins and i think i think that's now I love it. But I'm really getting I'm really excited about going to going to Arizona and shooting some shooting some mountain biking. Yeah, and and different weather and uh might I see you possibly in California maybe in the next month as well? Absolutely. I will be there. And, All right. And yeah. Yeah. Sounds All like right. we might have to have some uh in person flow bike conversations then. Fantastic. We'll do it. Hey. Awesome, awesome talking to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun and um, best of wishes with all your shooting. I'll be following you. And then anybody who's listening, um, find me on flowbikes.com.
Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast. And we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, the Grodio Podcast.